What's up, everyone? I'm Pedro, the GM and creator of World Walkers, a weekly podcast that follows the hilarity and hardships of a group of world-hopping adventurers trying to save existence. Hello, my name is Wesley Hall. I play Brubblestone, the dwarven summoner from Obrimos, and I make the comic Nameless Species, found at namelessspecies.com. Hi, my name is Enzo Comics. I play the forged ranger Roberto from the planet Obrimos. You can find my work at cheerupemokid.com and dungeonconstruction.co. Hi, I'm Olivia. I do the comic Imogen Quest, and I play Ertleby, the gunslinging grandma druid from the steampunk planet of Cog. Hi, my name is Jane Zay. I play the human rogue Vasa from the world Menroth, and in my spare time, I make the webcomic The Pigeon Gazette and Genji Cat, and I enjoy long walks on the beach. You can find my comics on my Instagram, The Pigeon Gazette. Hi, my name is Megan McKay. I play Tin, who is a gunslinging fighter from the world of Cog. And my comic is Doodle for Food, which you can read on Webtoons every Thursday and Friday, or just on my Instagram. The World Walkers have escaped Ozen Tower and traveled into the past. Now they find themselves stranded in a Rolanus they don't know, standing before the Guardian while quickly being approached by this timeline's Tompkins, all while their Tompkins is falling further and further into a full-scale panic attack. Can the world of fables withstand the effects of time travel, or will the combined knowledge of Brummelstone and Vasa be enough to weather this chronological intrusion? Wesley couldn't be with us during this game, but the rest of the group is here. Let's find out what happens in Season 3, Episode 35, Back in Time. So the other thing we've been doing lately, which has been kind of fun, is um, asking players for recaps. Does somebody want to try and give the recap for what happened last time? Last time, uh, what happened was the people entered a room and there were three mirrors and one mirror showed the past that was showing what looked like the tower being built but the tower wasn't there yet. One room was literally a play-by-play reflection of the current group as if there was a security camera in the room, and one mirror was completely dark. And the team was like, was like, okay, let's let's do this. And then they went in there, and there was a time guardian, and time the chrono guardian or the chronogram or whatever his name was was like, you shall not pass. You must defeat me. And then like some people are like, oh no, like we should negotiate. We're here for. We're just, we just want to pass. We're friends. And the Golden Guard was like, no, this is the test. And Vasa's like, we don't want your fucking well. And then the Guardian attacked. And then they fought some. And then, and then like, uh, somebody got pulled into the, the future time mirror. I think it was, uh, oh, wait, at some point, Roberto got pulled into the mirror. And he, like, kind of disappeared a little bit. But then he came back. But anyway, the point was that whoever Roberto came back, he brought the past time guardian, the future time guardian. Um, so now there's two time guardians fighting. And uh, Time Guardians are really nasty because they got these, like, whips that will bitch slap you over and over again. And that was annoying. Um, And uh, when there were two Time Guardians, Vasa had this really cool epiphany that you only needed to kill the current one because then the future one would be destroyed. 
And she kept saying that, but nobody was really listening to her. Everybody was paying attention to the mirrors. They were like, this is a puzzle. We got to solve the puzzle. Boss is like, no, this is just a murder quest. We just got to murder this person. But it was like, no, puzzle. And then like some people went into the past and Boss was like, no, stay in the present. Kill the few, kill the present one. Don't bring a past one in here because they'll just be healthy again. Don't kill the future one because there's no point to that. Just kill the present one. But nobody was listening to Vasa, even though, you know, her killer kill meter has been really good in the past and everything. And then, like, you know, more and more people dis- disappeared into mirrors, and, and Vasa kept spending her crystals and everything, and Vasa got really, really hurt. And then at some point, like, I think it was only Brummelstone and Tin and Vasa and Tompkins left in the room, because Ertle B and Roberto were like, we're gonna go into the past, despite what Vasa says. And then um, I think Brummelstone was like, you should go into the past too, Tin. Um, and Tin was dead, and then Vasa was like, I, I, I'm standing between Tin and the, the monster, and, like, I only have one crystal left, no. and if I spend it on Tin, probably I'll die, but you know what? Tin's, Tin's my girl, Tin's got my back, Tin knows oh my gosh. Like, you know, we homies and everything, so you know what? I, I, can, I can die in peace if uh, we defeat this and the mission moves on. So Vasa, like, really just, like, you know, it was, like, Infinity War music playing, so turns around and, like, totally slams a crystal into Tin's body. Tim comes alive and like Vasa like has this total like eye to eye heart to heart moment with her and it's like look all you got to do is finish it don't worry about me and, and then she and Vasa turn around and her arms are spread ready to be stricken down knowing that Tin is gonna fire over her shoulder and save the mission and then Tin was like see ya I'm a bounce and she went into the mirror and then Vasa was really <laughs> sad and then Vasa just kind of like yeah uh, Vasa got Tompkins and put in the mirror and then and then and then Brummelstone went into the mirror and then lo and behold the mirror closed and they were trapped in the past. And yeah. Oh, and then like, and then past Tompkins showed up and he was kind of baller and then his wife was there. Okay, I really, and that's what you missed last time on World Walkers. Is anyone else imagining like, like older Tompkins is pretty sexy? Like got some some suave to him a little bit, right? He's got kind of like glasses and like a little bit of like the silver fox thing going on in my mind. Pedro is correct. He does have glasses on, yeah. Is he kind of sexy? Is he kind of tone? Is he like a midget version of, of Tony Stark? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I had a little bit of that, but maybe more bookish. Like bookish. So, so, so Bruce Banner. Uh, yeah, a little bit of absent minded. Like, yeah. Yeah. Silver hair. Tompkins Ruffalo. No, no, nothing like that. I mean, he might have like he's 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 walking with a little bit more confidence, but like Vasa was expecting, you know, Tin to shoot over her shoulder, but instead she got shot in the back by Tin, stabbed, <laughs> stabbed in the back, and then you know Tin left. So you know, does that that happen? That would have been better to say. Some role playing we need to do. Are you guys going to need to role play this out? No, Tin. Tin doesn't have anything to say. She, there's, there's, it's a team effort. Okay. <laughs> You can't spell team without the T in tin, and then she leaves. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you can't spell TTFN without tin. All right, so you find yourselves in the beautiful open fields of what will one day surround Ozen Tower, but right now it's it's partially constructed. One by one, each of you, um, with a varying level of enthusiasm, has made your way through the portal and ended up here, and... I think last we left off, you had seen Tompkins with he's got a pair of glasses hanging from his neck. He's not actually wearing them right now. He he has some sort of it looks kind of like a pencil in his ear, but it's um, a little bit it's black and it has like this kind of fine point and there's a sheen to the tip 
almost as if it's wet with ink, but it never drips. And then uh, next to him, I think you guys had already kind of deduced the, per- the character I described. I think someone had, had uh, assumed that it was his wife. Yes, but that does make an ass out of you and me. So is it? We'll find out in a second. Um, and then I wanted to get a better <laughs> description of the uh, the person that uh, you had spoken to, or it'll be the guardian. Yeah, Wrapped yeah. in a green cloak with a golden trim stands a person about five foot seven in height. They have on their side the same gauntlet you've seen other guardians wear. A thick gold chain hangs from the metallic belt around their waist, and attached is a thick leather-bound tome that is kind of hooked onto their side as well. Um, the edge of the pages look to be made of a delicate gold, and they've got their arms folded. They were the ones that commanded the Colonel Mental from attacking. And as this other Tompkins comes around the corner, just approaching you, um, last we left off as well, uh, the Tompkins, your Tompkins, was kind of like freaking out and pawing at, at Vasa, kind of having almost like a breakdown, right? And the Chrono Mental quickly assesses the situation and then it kind of reaches its energy out and you watch as Tompkins just kind of unravels and disappears in a burst of energy. And Our Tompkins? Yes, and the Chrono Mental pulls its energy back and says, uh, he'll be waiting for you should you return. He tells that to Brummelstone, who will translate for you guys. Or, sorry, Roberto. Yeah, and with that, the, the Chrono Mental kind of pulls away and then you watch as it unravels in the same kind of style. Uh. And... As soon as as soon as Tompkins unravels in Boss's arms, she would have also sort of like snapped. She's like she might have appeared initially, maybe a little bit in sort of her head somewhere else. But the moment that happens, she sort of snaps out of it, like surges forward and like confronts the guardian. Call him back. Bring back our Tompkins. I, I'm still putting together exactly who you all are. I I don't know what's going on. And like Tompkins is like he's him and and whoever he's with kind of walks up, and he's like, "Did you say Tompkins? That's." That's me. I, I'm not you. Our Whoa. Tompkins. And then, and then Vasa just looks like she, she has this moment where she, as if she has more to say. And then something about her anger just collapses in on itself. And she just like kind of closes up a little bit. And she just steps back into line with everyone else. She's, she looks a little bit done. And Tompkins is staring at you really hard, Vasa. And he says, I... She's not really facing him. She's kind of just like facing off to the side and her hands are on her hips and she's like staring down at the ground. You're the crazy lady. He takes a step There's forward again. There's a little bit again. of tension in Fasa's shoulders, but... Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, Eleanor, this is who I was talking about. Remember that day when you were asking me about uh, Obrimos and I told you that there was like this day that this crazy lady ran into the library and yelled at me? You look just like her. I mean, I don't know Vasa's, if you're crazy. Vasa's head lifts. And she looks slowly over her shoulder. Longer than three weeks. Always. Always wait longer than three weeks. See, I remembered. I don't know why he yelled at me, but... And then he sits and he's like, That's the day that Mashodi fell. Oh my god, did you kill Mashodi? He kind of takes a step back and freaks out. The city. What city fell? Is that is that my city? Is that Vasa's uh, that, city? That was the, that was the original. No, 
that was the original name of the city, Tremessa. Mm-hmm. And then, wait, wait. So just remind this is this is stepping out of the game because I'm yeah yeah sorry because Vasa didn't destroy any city. <laughs> no. Oh but, oh no. <laughs> during the travelers, you had shown up and yelled at Tompkins. Yeah, but that was but he was oh that was um when the the the, the time Kronos people and the Kronos and yeah 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 okay 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 yeah right. yeah <laughs> uh, stepping back in game, Vasa would have turned around and and looked at Tompkins as he said this. And and. There, there's something, there's something a little bit. There's almost like an inkling of reassurance. Um, it, it, it's, it's relief, but it's, it's almost like kind of like she doesn't know how to feel, but there's some, there's a recognition there. And then she, she just kind of says like, Tompkins, as well as staring at Tompkins. And then she kind of, she almost is like, you grew. Well, I mean, I was a kid. And then I'm not how, anymore. And then, and then Vasa kind of goes still. She says, how many years have passed since you saw me? <laughs> what? How many years since you last saw me? Jeez, I mean, you met me when I was like a kid. I don't know. It's been. Hold on. I'm really bad at math. As a kid, it's probably been 60-ish years. And Vasa's shoulders kind of like sink back down and that sort of dark cloud kind of falls back over her. And when she turns around to the group, she kind of just mutters to everyone. She says, we are thousands of years ahead of when we will ever exist. That. She, well, she says this under her breath to the group. Oh, I don't okay, know if like okay, the okay. entire group here, sure, sure. but she just says like we're thousands of years from even being born, and then and then she uh, just kind of like retreats back into herself again and just kind of yeah. Erlby hears this, like kind of adjusts her cloak and kind of pushes past Vasa up to Tompkins, holding her exfoliation book kind of by the spine with it open. And she thrusts it kind of near Tompkins' face. She points to a picture that Tompkins himself drew. Because I know she's made him like draw a picture of himself before when she was afraid of them forgetting. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you're going to draw this in a couple thousand years. When you act as our guide to prevent the world from ending, we need to get back to keep the world from ending. And Eleanor kind of hits him, like kind of jabs him with her elbow. And she's like, I told you, I told you that you were, you're going to do be something someday. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead an old lady. And, um, and he kind of starts looking at Tin. Tin just squints her eyes back. Hmm. All right. <laughs> you're the scary one of the group. And then this lady who, okay. And he's like looking at Voss and he's like, if you're, so are you like, the crazy lady's daughter. Voss is not responding. All right. Play it that way. And then, uh, <laughs> would hit him in the face with a book and be like, I just said, you're going to do this. And the, the guardian there. steps forward at that point and gets between you two. And she's like, strike the architect again. And it'll be the last thing you do. Erlby pivots and points to the book again. And she's like, do you not hear me say thousands of years in the future? Do you know what's going on? 
Now I'm sorry. And Tompkins is like, no, I. And Eleanor is like, to be fair, he rarely knows what's going on. Like, and like they're still like she they're they, she's still not taking this like super hardcore herself. She's trying to like keep things light. It looks like, but um, the guardian says that we need to understand exactly what's going on. So you entered the tower at some point. We come originally came from a time upon visiting this world, a time when the tower was complete and we entered it to get to our destination, which was beyond the tower. And Tompkins kind of rolls his eyes and he's like, well, look, if all this were true, here's how I know it's not true. Because if this were true, if you guys were actually like time travelers or whatever, the last thing you would do is tell us and risk screwing everything up. So A for effort, but you didn't really think this through. Vasa speaks up and she says, you ran away with Eleanor to marry her. And now there's a city you can never return to because Eleanor was important to the owner of the city or something to that effect. And he looks at Eleanor and Eleanor looks a little worried and she's like did my father send you is that what this is about I know that because we were traveling with you Tompkins your memory was was limited but with each city we visited it came back more and more and you you told us the story of how you eloped with her and as a result you were afraid to return the city and you told us of how much you loved her with the time that you had and they kind of look at each other. Give me the time that we had. Hold on. And he just looks really confused. And Eleanor steps up. She's like, yeah, what do you mean the time that we had? Vasa looks at Tom and she says, you are going to help us in thousands of years. I imagine that's not the natural lifespan of your kind and your peers. And then Tom kind of looks at him and he's like, I'm a time traveler. My point is, we're not not lying, Tompkins. We're trapped in the past, but our mission is in the future, and you need to help us get back there. There's nothing to save yet in this time, but we need to get back. We need to resume the mission. We can't fail it. We have to get back. And then she just, and Vasa kind of just looks a little overwhelmed with how frustrating that concept is to her. And she just, she kind of retreats back again. She's just like, I can't. And the guardian takes a step in to think again. And then she says, you're saying a lot. It's the concept that the idea that you are proposing is, is heavy. This is what I propose. Let us sit for a while. Tell me your story. Tell me everything you can. And then let's work from there. It'll be likes Eleanor. And would stop being quite as like harsh as she was at first. And would fold her book closed and be like I think that's a very good idea 
though I might suggest snacks as well. And Eleanor's like, yeah, I mean, obviously snacks. Ooh, campfire. And Tom goes like, oh my gosh, campfire. Campfire, they both say together at the same time. And they run off. And they're running off to the distance. Um, not too, too far from here. There's a collection of tents set up away from the tower. And in the middle is a quickly constructed hall with benches and tables. A bit away from the rest of the tents is a larger one. And all of the tents have runes and lines etched into the fabric. And that you can see other, uh, what must be construction workers kind of habitating. Just chilling. Chilling. Traversing. Um, Yeah, over in the area. And uh, Tompkins and Eleanor have taken off. It looks like they're trying to race each other. And the Guardian just kind of sighs. The architect is um, brilliant, but ridiculous. Then kind of like, slides a little bit closer to the Guardian, but not like too close to be, (laughs) you know, in in their space. Um, Like, might I inquire as to how he became the architect? What do you mean? How was he selected to build? I'm assuming he's building this tower. That yes, <laughs> the tower we were in. So how how did you guys uh, how did you guys meet up? We will tr- trade stories if that's what it takes. But I want to know about all of you. So can, are we sitting around the campfire now? So we like. Campfire? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I'm going to be up front with you, she says. They've got it in their heads that we need a campfire. They're not going to let us sit around a campfire during the day. So take some time to yourselves. Because, oh. yeah, they this is, this is their life now. They're not going to let this go until we have a campfire at night. They're very big on aesthetics. So, um... I'll see you at nightfall. And with that, she kind of, she puts her hands into the, uh, the pockets of her cloak and turns around and begins walking back towards, uh, the construction of Ozen tower. Nobody notices it, but Tin also kind of imitates her cloakiness <laughs> with her own cloak. Turns <laughs> back around trying to be cool. Like, I too have a cloak. Yeah. So is there anything that you'd like to do, um, while you kill time for the next several hours? Irby's going to polish your gun. Vasa's going to have snuck away. Like, you'll just kind of turn around. You're just like, oh, Vasa's not there anymore. And she'll just kind of, like, find a secluded place to herself. Like, um, maybe something that overlooks something. Something where she can gaze off into the distance. But not too melodramatically. Okay, she's not that yeah, type. Yeah. Uh, maybe she'll climb, climb a tree. You know what? She, she's No, wait, she can't climb. Okay, no. She's found a perch. Uh, Tin has business she wants to talk to Vasa about. Didn't see her sneak off, so she's just kind of going to, like, walk in small circles and be like, Vasa! Um, calling for Vasa, trying to find her. So, Vasa, you find a, a small, uh, easily conquerable tree, and you Batman scale it. You're impressed with your skills, obviously. You've learned a lot. In, 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 another, in another mood, she would have been impressed and self Yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, but you find a nice um, spot to kind of nestle into. For the first time since you've entered the tower, even those nights when you camped inside the tower, 
you were worn out, you were depleted, you rarely felt like you had time to yourself. Even if it was quiet, you were never alone. This is the first time since entering the tower that you've had just a moment to relax and just seclude yourself. And that's when you hear Tin screaming. Fasa! Fasa! <laughs> Let me do my faraway yeah. voice. Vasa! 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 You're rummage. convinced she's never going to find you, and you don't know if that means she's ever going to stop. She's, she rummages Vasa! through her pockets. She finds some uh, some lint or whatever, and she balls them into her ears. Vasa! I have better <laughs> passive perception now! <laughs> I could try finding you. I will roll to hide. All right, let's do this. Stealth versus uh, perception. Okay, so okay. I I have d twenty plus eleven. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, let's see that with my d twenty plus. Hold on. Plus my hand. <laughs> my passive perception. Is, that's the wisdom, right? That's it. Yep. Well, are you proficient in with? Uh... No. Oh, okay. Then just so, your wisdom bonus. Okay, cool. So let's. So no bonuses, just plus Damn. eleven. I got a thirteen. Oh my god! I have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> I got an eighteen. <laughs> All right, but I'm gonna use. I'm gonna argue that Vasa's passive perception allows her to detect the incoming approach of Tim, and she's gonna run. She's gonna run and hide again. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only like this one tree near the cliff. I don't care. I'm not going for a tree. I'm going for like any secluded like fucking badger hole. You watch. Yeah, and then you watch her drop out, and then just Naruto sprint. Arms behind her. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm assuming the tree is like somewhere. She kind of drops into the bush and like rolls out of the way and just like goes full like aggressive sneak to find someplace else. It's okay. I can take a hand. She just. <laughs> uh, and then she turns back to the group. And she's like, Vasa wants to be alone right now. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Vasa is now enjoying her much less glamorous, less relaxing <laughs> hiding hole underneath a sisal bush. Tinsel bush or whatever you call those. Like, she's uh, just, just like lying there with her arms across her chest, like staring into like little thorny bushes and like berries and being like, this sucks even worse. Erdelby? Erdelby would do a little bit of exploring. So she would like polish up her gun and like make sure she's like armed and everything. One of the one of the workers kind of wanders over towards you and says, what's what's that? What's what? And he's kind of looking at what you're polishing. The future stick. Is <laughs> a short fellow um, with a um, aggressively uh, long goatee. <laughs> He's got really short cropped hair and um, kind of stumbles over and says, a future stick? Yes, it's a stick from the future. But while we are totally fine sharing some details from the future, I have it on good authority that if I tell you about this one, it will melt your brain. However, I'd love to hear more about you. Well, he folds his arms. He's like, so you guys are sticking to that story, huh? That you're from the future? Yeah. Why would you not believe me? I have a future stick. That's, I mean, that's a metal. Like, we know what metal is. It sounds like you're saying you jumped out of the tower. It doesn't mean you're from the future. 
you did have a time travel monster in that tower, did you not? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> what are you talking about? Tim just walks over and she's like, listen, so, um, you know, Voss is hiding. Can I come sit with you guys? And he's shocked. She's like, sure. Okay, so she plunks down and also starts polishing her cool weapon. Her her cool future stick. And he's he's kind of impressed, but he's like, so the way that I, I mean, look, I'm not the guy building this thing. Like, I mean, I'm putting some stones in place. I'm not going to give myself a lot of credit. Uh, You're doing a great job. It's a great tower. In the future, it really kicked our ass. So Great, great. Uh, blame that guy. And he's pointing way off. He's like, uh, blame the boss on that. That's not me. He's the one doing all the like the, the magic work. So Yeah, what's your name, dude? Huh? Uh, Tin, Tin at this point, Tin at this point is kind of going into like soldier, like, you know, when soldiers gather around and they're like waiting in camps. And they just got some free time, so she's going into like little soldier mode of like just chatting it up, being real cool, casual, like. So. Um, he says, well, "My name's Darius." It's a cool name. Thanks, thanks. What's your name? Tin. <laughs> like the metal. Yeah. I gave it. I gave myself that name. Thought it was pretty cool. All right. Um, but yeah, that that dude's doing all the actual arcane stuff we just are building the stone so i if he puts a time monster in there i guess but the way i understand it is that like he's building something that will let you guys fill in the blank so if there's a time monster that's that's probably your guys's fault so then darius let me ask you this if you believe do you believe in the time monster that there could be one that is in the tower Sure, I guess. I th- I have, do I believe in the possibility of something crazy like that? Sure. So then why is it so hard to believe that we'd be from the future? I mean, Because it's hard to believe there's a time monster in there. You, uh, the possibility versus the likelihood is a very different conversation. Right, but, but we weren't here. And then we, we came out of a portal. So... <laughs> I mean... Look, I'm not trying to call you up, I'm just saying... No, I'm surprised. I'm not trying to bait religion with you. Like I just, no, no, you guys to... popped out of nowhere, and we just have to yeah. believe the first thing you say. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Right, so I don't feel like this is a place that you guys want me at anymore. I'm gonna get back, uh, get back to my no, lunch. Just Darius, to... No, you've been a lovely conversationalist. You're good at talking too, and he, he walks away. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a uh, crush. <laughs> tin, uh, tin, kind of like rushes off, like you know, it's all the robot pheromones. Can. Oh my god! And uh, Roberto, are you up to anything? Lying around. Yeah. So you, yeah, randomly you can feel like gusts of wind pick up, and <laughs> the first time you're like, <gasps> and you're like, what is this? And then like eventually you're like, ah, Roberto again, like. <laughs> She's just racing along, having fun. Hours pass. In that time, is there anything else you guys need to do or talk about or cover before uh, nightfall? Tin, I mean, uh, Tin at this point is like making it a routine that anytime they have a, a rest, she would be talking to Bromlestone and kind of teaching him a little bit more, a little bit at a time about the gunslinger code and all that stuff. So, I mean, at some point, she'd probably take him aside for a quick 
little chat about that. Yeah. So you're spending time conversating, kind of teaching and helping him, uh, working through some of the nuances of the code and a couple hours pass. And then the sky kind of falls away tonight. The stars filter into the sky and it's a pretty beautiful night. Again, like, you know, you weren't in the tower that long, like you weren't in there for months or anything like that, but it felt like it. So being able to see the open sky again. Boy, did it feel like. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a nice little campfire started and it's, it's a ways away from everybody. Like it's not just in the middle of the, you know, and it's it's set up, and then you can see that uh, Tompkins and Eleanor have walked around, and they've put little like they've gotten big rocks and brought them over here, and they've put they've put sticks on them, and then there's a big bag next to the campfire as well, kind of like a burlap sack, and uh, so each of you takes a seat. The guardian makes her, uh, their way over there as well. Tompkins and Eleanor sit down, and then Tompkins gets up, takes the bag. And walks around and holds the bag open to Vasa first. Vasa hasn't shown up. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, he walks over to Erdelby. She reaches in the bag. There is just a little, like, they basically have taken little balls of pork and prepared them for you to put on the end of your stick. She does that. Yep. <laughs> and then he. Is Darius there? Is Darius at the. No. No, this was only for the World Walkers, the Guardian and Tompkins and Eleanor. Cool. Yeah. Erdelby takes it. And then he kind of cautiously approaches Tin. He's, oh, no, it's a, I don't need anything. I prefer nuts and bolts, but. Nuts and bolts. And him and Eleanor look at each other a little worried again. But I appreciate the thought. <laughs> and then he kind of. I heard a voice, but I don't see anybody. Did you guys come with someone extra? I'm a cloud. <laughs> it kind of freaks out. It's like, do you eat? I used to. Oh, no. It's oh, a dead cloud. And Eleanor just pats him on the shoulders. All right. So uh, they go and sit down and... Uh, the Guardian says, what about your other friend? Tin would turn back towards the darkness and say, Bossa! Story time! We gotta, we need your help! There's, there's food over here if you're hungry. And we're, and we're bored to we can... float and try to get Vasa. <laughs> Alright. So I guess you gotta give me stealth versus perception. I don't, do I wow. just use my old stats? Yeah. And you can give yourself advantage too with being playing like omnipresent is <laughs> literally just <laughs> yeah. here. Um all right, so I'm gonna roll. I got a well I'm gonna let I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna type it to Pedro, uh, so that he knows. Nice. Twenty two. Twenty two. Um you search and scour and you kind of race the winds, but you don't find her. Vasa, quit being melodramatic. Vasa! It'd be funny if out of nowhere an arrow just comes out and thunks right at the tin's feet. <laughs> but no. Uh, no. Nope. Vasa's nowhere to be found. Erdelby, I think, would say, 
She can continue the story where we let off, but we should begin telling it to you every, every moment here. I worry about the fate of our future. All right. So um, the guardian says, then tell me, I guess, where does this story begin? In a bar. Like all good stories, I suppose. And this is a painful memory for me. Because at this bar was a certain bear. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. We'll we'll get to him later. We all met in a bar made of dreams. We're all lucid dreamers. And we met in a dream. None of us came from the same world. None of us had ever met before. But we were all summoned by a man named Patch. Have you heard of this man? Have you heard of the tree of dreaming? And that's when Tompkins looks up and he's like, the dreaming tree? The dreaming tree is the reason we're fighting in the future. We are looking for shards of stardust. Stardust was split up to protect it from nightmares. Tompkins, do you know of the nightmares? I don't know the nightmares, but I know a lot about the dreaming tree. What do you know? Well, it's funny enough, I used to um, used to travel to a, a library uh, with my parents when I was a kid, and uh, one of my favorite books to read in that library was about dreams and the dreaming tree and the, there was a philosopher um, who lived nearby who talked about the idea that dreams aren't something that we think about and create when we sleep dreams are another world that we're allowed to enter when we fall asleep that essentially there's one world and that's when we're awake and then when we fall asleep we're allowed to go to the other world and the the path to all dreams is the dreaming tree that you can walk according to the guy anyway you could walk along the branches of the dreaming tree and find yourself um, in its birthplace which was uh, a place made of uh, <sighs> something like the when a the idea is that like in that world um like when a star dies here you can find the best of it in the dreaming world and those remnants those star remnants formed and gave a home and gave birth to the dreaming tree the dreaming tree is what ties all of us together and it's kind of what like if what he always what what the book says was that you could you could trace all dreams to the same place and that essentially that there's a there's something that keeps our world stable and there's something that keeps their world stable and their world's kept stable by the dreaming tree what do you think would happen if that stability was lost 
Um, well, I mean, I'm no expert, but the way I guess, I mean, that's terrible, but if that connection was lost, then dreams would break, shift, shatter, split apart, and then everybody would be unable to connect on that side. It would essentially be the end of that world. And like the idea that they talked about in the book that I was reading was that the two worlds are necessary, that the the dreaming side of things feeds us as much as we feed dreams, that we bring to the dreaming world all of our hopes and aspirations and we kind of give it life. But in return, the dreaming world kind of like... um. What's that really cool world word I always want to say and I never say right? Eleanor's like uh, symbiotic. And he goes, yeah, yeah, symbiotic. It's like it's like this symbiotic relationship where, um, without the dreaming tree, then the life of the dreaming world dies, and then everyone kind of dies with it eventually. Like everyone wouldn't you'd be able to sleep but not dream, and if you can't dream, you can't truly rest like we would just we would close our eyes and never go anywhere so we would just sit inside our heads all night which is like sometimes what I do when I have like a really good idea and I don't know how to get it out and I just kind of like like oh I wish I had paper but it's like way over there and I don't want to wake Eleanor up so I just kind of lay there for a while and I'm just like okay I'll just try to remember it and I kind of come up with like little cool ways to like not forget the I'm sorry I do this sometimes I don't sorry I am impressed that you understood so much about the relationship between the waking world and the dreaming world. I only got my first inklings of how they interconnect when I met you in Mercurius. What's Mercurius? Will you tell Tompkins about Mercurius? Me? Jin. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I honestly didn't hear the part where you said my name. Uh-huh. Like, it sounded like you cut out, so. I probably did. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so, Tin. Tin says, uh, God. Tin says, uh, I should start by saying that I will probably most likely absolutely get all these things wrong, but. Mercurius is kind The Guardian of- looks at you and they kind of just smile and they say it's it's pretty hard to get the heart of a story wrong. So Tin would kind of take a second and say for a second it's just to clarify once more there's so much that's happened since we've begun our journey but I will try to get to the heart of of it. Mercurius was um, a place within dreams where people were happy. Um, The Tompkins that we knew, that we know, um, built things for them. He was uh, beloved and much needed there. And we were told by Patch, the king of dreams, to seek him out, um, to be our guide. 
so that we could begin our journey of collecting shards of stardust. And the shards, once the dream tree was shattered, were scattered across multiple worlds. Some of the worlds that we have visited have been our own, and worlds such as this, the one we were in, but in the future, are worlds that none of us have lived on or been a part of. Anyways, what I'm saying is, is we found a version of you, Tompkins, that was in Mercurius, and you became our guide. After some convincing, but, you know, you fit right in, sort of. Um, and then we were off. You took us, we got uh, attacked by nightmares. Nasty buggers. And what are these nightmares you keep bringing up? The Guardian says. Is this something I should be aware of? Not in this time. In the future, they're a big problem. What are they? <laughs> Great question. How about Are Roberto be... tell you more? <laughs> uh, so from what I understand, please correct me if I'm wrong, Pedro. Um, well, no, that's the fun of this story. Oh, you're not going to correct that. No, no. Oh. Whatever you tell her is what you tell her. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Okay. Um, I mean, it matters, but, you know. <laughs> so when the Dreaming Tree was shattered, um, awoke these creatures that have been the nightmare creatures, which actually invade our dreams. Um, and um, ever since the Dreaming Tree stopped people from sleeping, I guess, or dreaming, what happened was that every time you go to bed, you, you would open this portal or something where the nightmares would come through, could come through your body and they would awake, they would manifest in the physical world. And um, what they would do, what Tompkins looks terrified. Yeah, what what happened on several occasions was that, um, well, it was actually um, it happened around us where these monsters uh, manifested and they killed everyone, and they tried to kill us and we got away. Um, and they're they're um, very clearly chasing after these shards as well, the ones that we are looking for. Um, we're trying to put dreaming tree, dreaming tree back together. So that these nightmares stop invading and um they seem to be after them as well for reasons unknown we just know that we don't we can't let them have them because the longer that we the longer that this has gone on the more and more we've noticed that um the worlds that we have walked have become the inhabitants are becoming more and more haggard they're losing sleep um, we've also encountered um, several races that have been completely taken over by nightmares. They're bending to their will almost completely because they have no choice. And um, that's only happened to a few of the few of the races we've encountered. But we have to prevent that from happening to all races, and which is why we are we were in a race against time until we got trapped in the tower. Um, and now we're here. And then the um, Eleanor is like, well, I don't understand. How did you guys get from Mercurius to the tower? Is that what it's called, Mercurius? 
Um, sorry, where's Mercurius again? It's in. It's at Olbrimos. Yeah, he's asking the group. Oh, oh, yeah, I can't ask Pedro. Um, we. No, I thought Mercurius was the dreaming world. I'm sorry, Vasa. Are you part of this conversation no, I, wait, now? Wait, I thought Enzo was asking. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, was it I am. Enzo or Roberto asking? I, Enzo is asking. Oh. It was yeah, Enzo asking. Oh, okay, um, sorry. Megan. Okay. <laughs> okay, so back to Roberto. Oh, tin is salty. Oh, tin is salty. Well, Vasa's oh, it looks like you got some beef over here. <laughs> You want more salt? I got, I got all the salt in this wound. I can give you some more salt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ertleby would chime in and say, we left Mercurius because we were pursued by nightmares. Pumpkins led the way. Roberto described... Eleanor looks proud even though she's still trying to figure out the story. She's like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Roberto's description of nightmares was correct. But trust me when I tell you that however afraid you are right now, you should be 20 times more frightened. They are the essence of one thing distilled to its purest form. Torment. And we had to get away from them, which led us to the land of Obrimos. A land of time travel and shifting worlds. Bremelstone can tell you more about that. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> hold on. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you threw it to Bremelstone? Yes. Okay. So uh, Bremelstone says, uh, <clears throat> well, uh, milady, the way... What happened? Hmm. There's a lot to unravel when it comes to Obrimos. We could talk for a long time about the world and many uh, wonders. It's a beautiful land uh, where my brother and I hail from. And we found our way into Obrimos. And we, you see, we have to understand that we are following uh, young Tompkins and where he wants to lead us and and then he kind of thinks for a second he doesn't looks like he was going to say more than he stops and he says so we <clears throat> ended up in a small town and it didn't take long before we discovered that they had already encountered the shard of stardust we were looking for they were using it uh, as a kind of lantern and Unfortunately, they had walked it too far into the caves nearby, and the Obrimos has many different timelines, some brighter than others, and the darkest of those timelines is something we call the Grey, and the Shard had slipped into that world, and we had to journey in there we had to battle uh, some for some of us the particularly dangerous foes on the way in and he kind of shoots a look over to tin and smiles <laughs> shady shade <laughs> but luckily uh 
to my face, but almost done. <laughs> we were able to go in, and it was a harrowing story, to be sure, one that I would love to tell you more about later. But we were able to retrieve the shard and leave. And when we got back, we had found that Master Tompkins had had left us. He uh, didn't wait long enough. And so... And he looks more and more nervous as he talks. uh, And then he kind of just shakes it off for a second. We decided to follow Tompkins and we made our way to a beautiful city uh, known as Tremessa that seemed to very much understand the intricacies of Obrimos and its history of time travel. And while it was there that we first believe it the first time we were attacked in the waking world by the nightmares, they uh, they don't seem to be able at least they weren't able to come in through our dreams, but they managed to murder everyone around us and break through that way. And that's when we realized it was too dangerous to take too long in any one spot. And uh, we had a little trouble with the local guard, but uh, luckily the guard loves cats and then we almost got out of there. And he looks over at Tin again and he's like, but trouble found us once more. Not all of us are gifted in the arts of uh, stealth. Uh, but from there, we were able to travel and make our way while trying really hard not to fall asleep uh, to the next world. We found a way to walk from Obrimus and Master Tompkins. I trust you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he kind of looks nervous. He's like, oh, what? I'm, yeah, I guess. And he's like, and that's when we went to Tin and Erdelby's homeworld of Cog. And then he looks over at you guys. But then he kind of sits back looking a little nervous again. So he throws it to whoever's going to grab it next. Nose goes. Can I say it's you? What? No. That's literally you say it and then you go. He said nose goes and you point to your nose like this no, nose goes. But- <laughs> That's what I've always heard, and it's whoever doesn't do it on their nose. <laughs> I've never heard that. Uh, Erdelby can start on Cog. Erdelby would say, Cog is the planet that Tim and I are from. We got to go home and see our loved ones. And this is where uh, like Eleanor looks a little more uncomfortable. Eleanor, are you familiar with Cog? She looks and she says, yeah, that's that's where I'm from. You're from a cog. I never knew. Cog is where this came from. And she would hold her gun. <gasps> and then she takes a step back and she says, no. No, 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 no. And she gets up and she backs away and she's like, no. And Tompkins looks kind of pale, but he stands up and he pulls a bit of strength 
and walks over and kind of holds Eleanor. In the future, these are only allowed to a select few individuals who take an oath. And then they both kind of look up, confused. Tim and I are both gunslingers. Gunslingers? So you throw guns at people? What are guns? Are those guns? This is a gun. And you throw them at people? And Eleanor's like, oh, gosh. We were so worried it was something else. Never mind. And they both sit down. Okay, well, I'm definitely going to bring that up later. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But right now, I'm talking about Cog. It'll be like, puts her gun back on her chest strap. Um, (laughs) Tomkins is kind of rubbing her shoulders like, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. Ertleby's like kind of like deadpan facing, like eyebrow twitching slightly. <laughs> uh, yes, Cog. We were looking for a shot. Uh, we heard that an artist seeking painted boost had sought one from a woman named Claiborne. When we first got an inkling of where she was, we pursued, uh, leaving the town we had arrived in rather quickly. And you behind for a short, reasonable duration. Uh, <laughs> we followed uh, the shard along and the Tomkin way. Tomkin says, Hold, I seem to get left behind a lot in these stories. We don't forget you also left us behind. Anyway, uh... But didn't you guys leave me behind first? Is that what the dwarf said? Who really is the one who leaves behind? The one who leaves? (laughs) Or the one who leaves after the leaver leaves? These are questions I don't have time to ask now. I'm telling you about Cog. Okay, so here we are in Cog, and we're trying to get to the shard, but... There's an issue. Claiborne is not convinced that I am future her. Uh, you should, though, believe that I am from the future. This I am. I, I wasn't so in the future, uh, you turn into a into a Claiborne. Anyway, Rumblestone seduces Claiborne, and they <laughs> very Eleanor looks at Tomkins like, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> In fact, I think he's pretty mopey about it still. I don't really know the details. Uh, what kind of face is Rumblestone making right now? He's just like, looks like his face turned from stone to gravel, just like... Oh, that's a mopey face, all right. Uh, <laughs> Got his gravel face over on. here. Uh, anyway, she just gives it to us because he's such a seducer, which was great. Uh, we have some fun time catching up with my family. And then we... We're pretty much done on Cog. Uh, that one was pretty straightforward. Although, was it around that time we decided to try putting the shards to use? Oh, Tomkin says, what, what do you mean? A shard is a very special thing to behold. When you look at it, your mind surges with color and thoughts and beauty it's like the opposite of a nightmare so at a certain point we decided to see if a nightmare could be fought with a shard and Ooh, it how'd it go Tomkinson? They, they just eat them they just oh. eat them. 
the shots. So it just needs like, Him shot. and Eleanor are looking at each other like, oh my God. That was our bad. That was our bad. <laughs> and then Eleanor is like, if this is true, remember that. <laughs> there is one more thing that happened on COG that I want to be sure you know. An entire ship we were traveling with was murdered. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Tom is like, oh no. I have their names here in my book. They died because we didn't get off COG fast enough. We had to move. We had to leave that that world. And you, Tompkins, once we reunited with you, were the one to lead us to the next world. Cool. And then you got here and you came in front of the tower? Is that... Are we the next world? Roberta, what do you recall? Of Rolanith? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so when we got to Rolanith, um, this is the world that I <coughs> that I mentioned before, where there were races. I think there were hobgoblins, um, or goblins that they were um, experiencing, like they were experiencing um, getting taken over by nightmares. They were, um, they hadn't been sleeping. They were being compelled to do the nightmares bidding. And we fought them. We fought them very hard and it was really hard to beat them. (laughs) And, um, um, we also noticed that they were, because of the nightmares, the nightmares were kind of causing these creatures to kind of invade otherwise peaceful lands, like the, the lands of the... Um, the animal people. I remember animal people. Yeah. Do you have? And then Eleanor kind of like puts her hand in her mouth, and she like you can those with high enough perception, like you know, fourteen or higher, they hear like she's like, oh my god, they're racist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the wind is racist. No, no, it's cool because. Because people, you know, they call us robots, and that's not cool either. We get it. We get it. What a robot! Is that what you? Is it? Are you a robot? Is that what you're calling? Wow! Wow! You're racist. No, I I asked you. you If you are, it's just not. It's not a word you use. But you brought it into this world, literally. Tompkins says we didn't even have that word till now. (laughs) What have you done? He says. You're like all right. I like it if. Our casual words here usher in a new era of intolerance and racism. <laughs> wait, wait till I tell you what dickweed means. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Torta, we talked to a Torta. He was the leader of a village. A Torta? Or a Tortle? Tortle, yes, a Tortle. Okay, Tompkins, a guard. Yeah, he was um, the leader of his village, and his village was getting invaded by these hobgoblins or bugbears. So we tried to save them, but that was like kind of like the worst example of what the nightmares could do. Um, 
we also then they well not the actually no that was not the worst example of what the nightmares could do because we um on our way to this tower we encountered um I think they were frog can or frog people or they were creatures in the swamp that have been had been completely engulfed by the nightmare creatures and the moment when we had when we realized that where they were under the influence we tried to save them and the moment that the creatures or the inhabitants of Rolanis like the swamp inhabitants the moment that we were able to get them to help us they nightmare creatures killed them almost instantly yeah that was just on the way to this tower and then we went to the tower and we met a guardian not Tom unlike, looks she's like how was the tower oh it was really difficult we he's looking at Eleanor she's like yeah there you go and we kept asking you for to help us out and you're like I don't know how to do it that doesn't sound like me I know because <laughs> you built it so we figured yeah. you could help us a little bit but you kept on saying that you know I just and um well we were going through the how trial. old was I I mean you've never told us exactly what your age was but you looked Younger? Oh. Yeah. I don't remember doing it. It was actually those trials of the tower that caused us to end up here because we encountered a, from what Brummelstone told us, it is a chronomance. Mental? Chronomental? And the Guardian slowly nods. Yes. And that's how we ended up here because we were fighting it in our attempt to pass the tower and it sent us here. So what about that burst? Of light that you got that um your friend did. First uh, Tompkins light. says. Yeah, it's like you had somebody with you and then like it's like your friend and he kinda of thinks about it, he's like, Well no, she's just crazy. And then he looks over to Tin and then doesn't look at Tin on purpose and says, Did somebody blow him up or something or blow her up or whoever it was? But like he's like trying not to look at Tin, but clearly wants to look at Tin when he says it. Uh, Wait, blow who up? I don't know. There's like this burst of energy there. It looks like there was somebody with you, and then it was you, Tompkins. It was the you who was with us. You was sent back to our time. Yeah, yeah. Eleanor at first was like, "So you blew?" Oh, back. Okay. Yeah, there's. We can't have time travel duplicates. That's against. That goes against the space time continuum. Oh, really? Probably. <laughs> Regardless. <laughs> Here's where I stand. Under no circumstances can our future continue without us there to fight it. We could try and change the future here in the past, but I see no reason to expect words we say now to have any real meaning in a thousand years. Well, uh, Eleanor says, well, hold on. I guess, like, haven't you already changed everything now? By telling Tompkins, haven't you changed everything? Now he can make all the right decisions. Our Tompkins, his memory is not 100%. Something is different about him. He is a, a Tompkins that has lived in the dreaming world so long. His waking world life probably seems more like a dream. In fact, it's been a bit of a puzzler for us. Because we've been tracking his life 
first Obrimos, then Cog, then Rolanis. And if we knew where we were going next, we would know where the next shard was. But our Tompkins doesn't remember. Tompkins looks, he's like thinking for a bit. Then he looks a little worried. Then he thinks a little bit more. He says, this whole time, there's something you haven't mentioned. And then he looks over at you guys and he says, where's Eleanor? Why isn't she traveling with us? We don't know Eleanor. She's not with you at the beginning. And they kind of give a nervous look at each other. They just, it's just real quiet. He's really thinking and pouring through all the information in his head. Is there more you're not telling me? Yes. Eleanor's dead. Holy shit. We don't know how. I think she dies on Rolanis. You don't remember. We've asked. And he's like, we came here to make our own story. Looks like we can't stay here any longer. And he looks over to Eleanor and she's like, well, we don't even know if they're telling the truth. He's like, what do I care if they're telling the truth? I'm not going to risk it. And it looks like, you know, he's trying to play it off like, well, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, we don't know if they're telling, but you can tell in his eyes he believes you. And he stands up and he's like, I I think it's time we go to bed, Eleanor. And she looks confused. He's like, we should go. And she kind of, she nods for a second, but doesn't get up. And she says, is there anything else that we need to know? Based on all the information we have of being the architect and the things that we know that you can create, Tompkins, that you you now are the only hope we have of being able to get back to the proper time so that we can continue this mission. It just looks kind of pale. So you want to go back as if nothing's changed. Yeah, if you want to skip us, like, maybe ahead of the of the tower. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I'd like to go back and have there be no nightmares. That would be, like, number one scenario. Everything's super awesome in the future. Scenario number two, uh... Things are less, they're still the same, less awesome, but maybe Eleanor's alive or something. That would be cool. 
scenario three though is that we go back and everything is the same because I know very few examples where messing with time travel has made things work out the way you expect. talk about. Come on, Eleanor. And she stands up and she looks really confused. She doesn't really know what to do. And then she she walks with them. And they, they walk towards their tent. So it's quiet for a second and uh, the guardian looks up at you and they say, so what is your plan? Is your plan, as do I understand right, that your plan is simply to return or are you trying to change your futures here? I should warn you that there is no such thing as time travel here on Rolanus. However you got here, you know, I'm I'm still not exactly sure how that works, but uh, I've heard, as your friend has pointed out, that there is a world where that's possible. But I know quite a bit about Rolanus, let's say. There's no way of traversing time itself. Tin has several ideas, but would turn to the Guardian and say, uh, Guardian, um, we are we are all um, a bit scattered, if you will, unsure of what all our, our next steps are. Um, would you mind giving us a moment to speak um, to determine our next course of action so that we may better inform you of what we need to happen certainly uh they stand up throw their hands in their pocket and kind of their cloak kind of like whoosh, kind of whisks behind them as they uh casually walk away and give you the distance you need okay so 10 immediately turns and is like okay so shit got a little intense there for a second um here there's multiple things i'm thinking of there are there are multiple paths we can take. We could potentially try and find a way to prevent any of this from happening. Um, but then again, how do we know for sure we're just not delaying the inevitable? Um, or we could try finding a way to go back. And if there's not time travel on this world, but Tomkins still has the ability to walk worlds, then we have him hopefully guide us to a place where we can time travel. Those are my thoughts. Where are you guys at? And she kind of like looks in the air <laughs> generally. Uh. <laughs> and at, and at Ertleby. And then also kind of like, also just as like, 
glancing around and still no Vasa. <laughs> yeah. Ertleby would nod in response to what Tin is saying and then be like, I worry that none of those options will be available to us if Tompkins and Eleanor try and walk worlds tonight. I think we should figure out where they're sleeping and guard the door. Well, you see, it's the biggest tent. Yeah, that's actually what another thing I was worried about was like, yeah. as soon as they were like, we got a lot to think about in our tent. I was like, they're going to run away. Yeah, so, we can just straight up follow them too. I think we or should. Just- Go with them. Good idea, Wind. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like, yeah, we should probably follow them. And um, we don't really have any other. If there's no option on Rolanis, then there's no reason to be here. So while you all ponder that, um, Vasa, you're off on your own, right? Vasa, yeah. Vasa is off on her own and just sort of just, I guess, uh, catch a glimpse of what is what is in her head um i think initially when she went off it was you know she was still a little bit shocked to it but the more time she spent by herself the more time she was loud in her head the more she understood the feeling that was weighing her down so much is that she feels like she let everyone down I mean, she. I, I know that the group is um, very much a democracy and everything, but, you know, it's, it's natural of her to have felt that she assumed a leadership. That, and as part of, part of being a leader is that if the mission fails, it's your fault. It's because you didn't guide the people good enough. It's because you weren't clear enough in communicating. It's because you weren't able to rally your team when it mattered most. So even... So, like, the most prominent feeling, like, no matter who was the person who ran into the into the portal or whatever, and, like, it was a collective team decision. The team chose to go back. The moment they step through, they are now, and she understands this perhaps a little deeper than she is. She knows they are thousands of years ahead of anything that they will know, any of the people that they will know, any of the... Every, they don't even exist yet, and they're so far away from that. Like... This is the most impossible and failed the mission has ever felt to her. And it feels like it's her fault. And for a while, she was, it kind of sent her back to feeling younger and thinking about her mentors and thinking that her mentor would have succeeded where she had failed, thinking that she had let down her mentor, that she wasn't, she wasn't as fit to lead this team as she should have been. And then with that slowly corroding her sense of leadership, you know, the leader kind of falls away because, you know, it's it's almost like Cap's shield. Like, you know, she doesn't deserve it. She let the team down. She was allowed to be very much more vulnerable and personal. She was allowed to be herself. And all the sort of like all the all the people that she had left behind, all the all the home that she knew, she had always kind of put pushed that into the background because you know you were a leader, you had responsibility. It wasn't about you, it wasn't about what you felt, it was about what had to be done. So it was very easy to sort of well, not easy, but it was easier to ignore all that. And without the protective role of the leader, she sort of it really hit her how much she missed her home, how much she had missed the people she left behind, and how much she was holding on to the fact that she was fighting to get back to them. And now she's literally thousands of years before they ever existed. If you think about like being separated from your loved ones, like this is as far as she's ever been. And she's just at an all-time low where she 
maybe, maybe if anybody else was feeling this way, sh or she could have, she would have known the right words to say. I'm like, oh, you know, trust in the team, trust in the friendship, trust that we'll find a way. Like, you know, that's what she would have said to anybody else. But nobody's there to say it to her, and she's definitely not in a mood or not in a mind or emotional state to rally herself to be like, all right, well, just deal with the circumstances. Let's go. She's just kind of like really intensely, intensely missing. Uh, missing the people in the world she left behind, and very much thinking that it's her fault that we're that they're in the situation, and basically feeling very hopeless, which is why she really hasn't made a move to like, all right, let's get back to the team, let's plan, let's let's gather around. She's like, what's the point? What's the point? Like this is it. I'm going, like I'm going to die thousands and thousands of years before I ever existed. And then. Um while you're hanging out in the darkness, kind of alone with your thoughts, um, you hear a voice kind of from behind you. Uh, and the, uh, the voice asks, uh, hey, do you need to talk? She kind of sits up. It's the guardian's voice. And then she kind of goes like, uh, she kind of like, it's, it's not, maybe she wipes her eyes. Uh, and then she kind of goes like, what magic is this? Oh, uh, well, it's not exactly magic, it's more elemental. And then Vasa says, she just says, I'm sure you've heard everything that needs to be said from my friends. I have, and I think they're able to tell a good story. And I'm not saying I don't believe them, but I guess I'm just offering a shoulder because it seems like Maybe they're processing in their own way. Maybe they don't exactly realize what's happened yet, but I think I understand what's going on, and I know what it's like to be burdened with purpose, and I recognize that in you, and you don't have to say anything, but uh, here in the shadows, you can talk to me whenever you want to. And Vasa just kind of like absorbs this a little bit. And then a part of her goes, I suppose whatever I say, you'll be dead soon enough anyway and it won't carry forward. Nobody would know. Kind of like to herself a little bit. Um, but then she, she's silent for a while. And I guess, you know, like a good amount of time passed and you kind of feel like maybe she didn't, she's not going to take the Guardian up on the offer. But then she kind of just says, she says, you know, I failed. We failed. We're not going to save the worlds. Says I don't know how long you've been on Rolanus, and I don't know what you know of the Guardians, but when someone takes on the mantle of the Guardian, it's a death sentence. The moment that you accept the mantle, the guardian, you know that you are destined to die protecting Rolanas. There's no way around it. It's, in some respects, it's almost the curse of the guardian. The moment that I accepted, I knew that I would die, not from old age, not from any sort of illness, not from an accident. I am going to die in battle and the only reason for my death is to ensure that the next guardian is appropriately chosen 
it's the way the mantle gets passed down. Through the guardian's death, the guardian is found. Yeah, we we met um a dog man, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A dog Do- man. Dog head, body standing upright. I think. That might be guardian with a small G. That sounds like an archon. Maybe I. I don't really pay attention to the lores of the worlds we pass through. We pass through so many. We passed through so many. We left so many dead. So many were sacrificed just so we could move forward. And all for nothing. All for nothing. Well, there's one thing I can tell you. And take it from somebody who understands stories intimately. And you can feel her, even though she's not there, even though you can't see her. You, you get the sensation that she's patting the book on her side when she says this. She says, uh, I can tell when someone's story is done. Basa laughs bitterly. <laughs> you know, you're not done till you're dead or you give up. And I don't know where your path's going to take you. Um, I don't know what's going to happen next, but you... You're only as burdened by this as you want to because there is another way to look at this. I could be free of my burden whenever I want to. I could simply unchain the book from my side and leave the gauntlet on top of it. And I'm free. I can walk away from this whenever I want to. And I never will. But... That's the truth of it. I don't have to do this. I choose to do this. In the same way, you have to understand that if you choose to go back, that's a self-imposed burden. That is a self-imposed destiny. Because if I understand this entire story correctly, the rest of your friends have told a great deal to the architect. And you also know that the architect has been safely returned to his original time and place. Your story's over if you want to. It doesn't sound like you, yourself, have to ever deal with this. You can follow any path you want to now. There's no reason for you to pursue this anymore, short of choice. Because I don't know how well you know the architect in your time. But the architect in my time is a man of purpose. If you don't come back, he'll simply find others. He'll find more people that can help him. He knows how to walk between the worlds. The architect was not the one who sent us. But he's the one that knows. Whoever sent you originally, the wheels of fate are turning. Tompkins, the architect has great power, great resources at his disposal, he will put together another group if you don't return. So the only way this becomes a burden is if you put that mantle on yourself. If you want to go home, if you want to gather your team and choose a new life, you're you're free to. And... Whatever's going to happen, 
isn't going to happen, I can tell you for a fact, for another 974 years. That's how far back you are. Perhaps the second team will be more successful than we have been. She kind of seems a little bit lost in that thought. You also, some of your friends are talking about attacking this from two different angles. If the architect puts together a team, but you spend your time providing whatever resources you can from back here. It doesn't reach forward like that. The Tompkins we met, his mind had been so, so atrophied by his time or clouded, I should say clouded by his time in the dreaming world that he has little to no memory of this current time. He did not, I do not even know if he remembered Eleanor until we stepped foot on Cog. None of what we say today will carry forward to any meaningful, useful uh, information by the time he meets us. You can feel some disappointment in her, in her, in her voice when she says, how sad the most in- inventive mind of our time is of so little use in the future. You're wrong. It, it's because of the, dream, the clouds in his mind that he was able to serve as our perfect guide. The shards were specifically hidden at points in, Tom, in Tompkins' life, and because he had forgotten so much of it, he, the nightmares themselves weren't able to extract the locations. Every single time when we needed him to remember the most, he would uncover a little bit more of his past, and that would lead us to the shard one step ahead of the nightmares. It's because of the clouds in his mind that we were even able to go as far as we have been. But now, and she kind of gestures to the world, she says, and she kind of like that gloom just is very obstinate. It keeps settling back. She's like, now we've gone as far as we can. It sounds like your friends are making decisions. If you want to be a part of the next step, you might want to join them quickly. To what end? At least to let them know that you're not going. Or that you are, or whatever your decision is. But they're little busybodies over there. <laughs> and and you look off in the distance and you can see, like, far off in the distance, there's the fire going. Your friends are there discussing. And you can see the guardian not too far away from them. There is nowhere that I can lead them. Again, if you need someone to speak to, whenever it's at its darkest, you can reach me. And then you kind of feel her voice leave. What are the rest of you up to? Kicking in Tompkins's tent. <laughs> so you're walking over there? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you walk Tom over to the tent <laughs> and you try to rip it open and you can't at first. It's bolted shut. But it's bolted like a door. Like it feels wooden underneath your palm. Open the tent door. Mm -hmm. You open the door and once you look in, you can see that the interior is much different than what you'd expect. The inside of the tent is a small cottage. Different kinds of stones are stacked to make the corner foundation. And the rest is constructed of various types of beautiful wood. There's a small fireplace off to the side, a quaint table, and a collection of cushioned chairs. Uh, there are also windows scattered about the place as well. And Tompkins is sitting at the cushion. He's sitting in one of the cushion chairs at the table, um, talking to Eleanor. 
And they look up and he says, well, excuse me. I knocked. Well, I, I didn't answer. And Eleanor is like, she, she knows she doesn't, she doesn't care. And she stands up and she's, she doesn't have like tears in her eyes, but they look like they both have been a, a bit of a, uh, emotional. And Tomkins says, well, I guess come on in or not. You don't have to. No, or it'll be, or it'll be, would walk right up. Um, There's the wind rushing as well. Yes. Yeah. I just want to like report to you are blowing in a way that makes us look cool always, right? Yes. So like when the door <laughs> opens, it's like blowing outward. So your capes and your things are billowing out behind you. Nice, nice. Thank you. Right. That's good. That's what I figured. You're you're such a bro, but I wanted to make sure. <laughs> you're such a bro, Roberto. It'll be would like walk up to them and kind of like pop down next to them. Be like, and then she would like take her exfoliation book out and put her in front of her, and then just open it. And like Rolanus is such a land of stories. And when I first got here. It was, it was almost overwhelming the way the world can bend itself to make the stories heighten and stretch the drama out of every moment. When life with somebody you love is all about the very, very non-dramatic moments. It's about the little moments, the little things that don't make good epic stories, but make up a wonderful, wonderful life together. Tompkins, Eleanor, I don't know what happens for you on Rolanis, but I don't think it's a happy story. I don't want that to be your story now, but I also don't want the future I have seen to come to pass. This book has been my way of charting all the little moments we've had as a group. Tompkins. And also Eleanor, uh, as his partner, I trust you have some fine, fine imaginations on you. Can you imagine a way out of this for us? And uh, Tompkins thinks for a second. He says, well, let me let me be clear on something. We can brainstorm. We can talk. But I just want to be up front. There's nothing that any of you is going to say that's going to convince me to let things play out and lose my wife. I just want to be up front about that. I... We can we can talk, we can workshop, we can come up with a thousand and one ideas. Dude, I'm not a psychopath. I'm not I just, like like oh no, we have to preserve the timelines or whatever. Eleanor well, must I, die. I don't. I just want to make sure that that's not Whoa, on the table. Oh, she has to die. Whoa! Will you stop saying that. He's starting to get mad. It'll be would laugh a little. And she would laugh a lot. (laughs) And he thinks for a second. And he says, So 
What do you want to see happen? A future without nightmares. But are you trying to make all that happen from back here? Or are you trying to get home? I think we have to get home. So, Tompkins takes a second. He says, well, I mean, if you want to go back, you need to travel to Mishido. Mishido is a city on Obrimos where all they do is study time. If you can just go there, they're the experts. They're the ones you want to talk to. Okay. You made the tower. Mm-hmm. The tower sent us here. By way of interacting with Brummelstone, we've still got Brummelstone and we've still got you. You made the tower. Could you make a room for us that we put Brummelstone in and it generates the same challenge we had before? Yeah, in theory. It's going to take a while. You'll have to live here for a while. Are you guys okay with that? How long, long is a while? Towers will take a couple years, but not okay, that long. Yeah. I mean... Well, as long as you guys go back to the right time, what do you guys care? That is a pretty good point. Wait, so, okay, so, like, several years for tower. One room of tower is, like, a couple months? Sure. I mean, I don't really know. I mean... I'm the tower is you know the tower responds to whatever you all bring in it so like yeah especially uh if you're dwarf here and he points at Brummelstone um if he's from Obrimos it makes total sense because like <sighs> something that you might not know is that you know different worlds have different elements like prime elements like every world has like fire right but if you're talking about elemental type like the elementals um, you know um, every world has different elementals so um, there's no chronal mental is that what you guys call it a chrono element what was it it was Bromostone's word I don't know okay um, there's no like time elemental here because time isn't one of the elementals the elementals here are light dark plants like spirit like plant forest spirit something like that and then something else I don't remember but anyway um, time isn't one of them so like that I can't make that thing show up there but um, if I build the tower it should show up again I hope how long do you think it would take to travel to Abrimos and find these time researchers? Well, you'd have to find a way to walk between worlds, which who knows? And then Eleanor looks at me and goes, oh yeah, you guys know. Um, so uh, <laughs> I always forget who knows and yes. doesn't know. Because um, like, nobody knows except for you guys. Um, yeah, so we'd have to travel way out to the kingdom of uh, Gilcrest. And it's a well, bit been, away. We've been there. You've been to Gilcrest? Apparently. That's no, awesome. Don't. Gilcrest survives that long. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm almost positive. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, that's really cool. Um what do I bet you like three dollars that we haven't been to Gilcrest? Wouldn't you take my bet? 
Oh, um, I, yes. Three gold. I'm almost well, we positive that we've been there. All right, I'll, we're going to ask Vasa when we see her again, because she's got a good memory. I don't have any gold. <laughs> I've made a good fa- three gold bet with the wind. Yeah, so around um, the kingdom of Gilcrest, there's a small uh, cave, and that's how you you leave. Ertlebe would stand up abruptly and be like, there's been something I've wanted ever since arriving on Rolanis, that I feel like my heart still yearns out for. And it's not adventuring. You talk about Gilcrest and caves. I, I've gone on a lot of ventures to places named after things. But what I haven't gotten yet is a montage. And staying here while you build us the tower would give me the perfect montage. Not the whole tower, just like one room. So um, they just, Eleanor and Tomkin stare at each other with, like, they both raise the same eyebrow. Um, But Vasa, so um, can you describe what you've been doing in the downtime? Yeah, so after the Guardian spoke to Vasa, Vasa, like, Maybe briefly was a little bit lifted, but, you know, the funk kind of goes back down. She goes back to, you know, admittedly, she goes back to feeling sorry for herself. You know, she's sad. She misses her home. She misses her people. And she also feels sorry for herself. She thinks about all the people who's placed faith in her. And she's like, this is it. This this is my legacy. I'm going to crumble to dust and die, like, you know, a thousand years before when I'll even be born or something. And she's kind of moping about that. And then... She finally, because she's kind of thinking like, this is it. This is my legacy. Just a failure. She kind of goes deeper into her mind and starts to unravel the memories of Traveler Vasa. Because Traveler Vasa left behind a good legacy, left behind a triumph, made a meaningful mark with her time on this in this world. And that, she, she sort of reaches out to that and 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 for the first time like she always kind of pushes the side because she was kind of always a little freaked by having a double life but the first time she truly invites it into the foreground of her thoughts and explores the memories and experiences of traveler vasa because she's like this is the closest i'll ever get to have done something and and in a way i i did because of her so she's really for the first time like almost page by page reading through the legacy of Traveler Vasa and getting to know it. And as you do, you kind of re-experience for the first time the events that that other Vasa uh, had. For instance, you remember that Vasa had fallen back to the... what was once when, when she first visited Tremessa... It was decrepit. It was near destroyed. And you fought these terrible creatures that were able to, like with these crystals that were um, affixed to their weaponry, they were able to kind of displace you and they were able to disappear and all that. And you remember that as she went through this, um, she went through that city and she had actually sacrificed herself. She had jumped in the way of a blast meant for Ertleby and it looked like she was actually going to survive and then a stray blast still catches her 
and throws her back. And you're able to kind of feel like, cause all the experiences that you're letting in are not happening in linear time. So you're going to experience and understand things that that Vasa discovered, but you're also going to be able to benefit from the conclusions and the knowledge that that Vasa had. So Vasa understands that she traveled 1,035 years into the past. And when she ends up in that city, it's completely different. It's beautiful. And there are these those same crystals that uh, your group had learned to be frightened of. You instead see that they base their lives around it. And you discovered that one of the crystals was like a crystal that represented their entire, like all of their timelines, all of their knowledge, all of their memories. And in that crystal is everything that they understand about time travel. If anything could tell you what you need to know, <laughs> it would be the entire storehouse of their knowledge. Problem is that as you're experiencing this, you also know that the people of that city were attacked by powerful kind of chronomancers that ripped into the city and destroyed it. They erased it from time. It never existed. The people, though, had entrusted that Vasa with their crystal as their last hope. And when everything fell apart, they ended up in the Grey, which is essentially the graveyard of timelines. It's this shadow world that sits parallel to Obrimos, and it's where the remnants of time fall apart once they have been ripped out of the essentially the veins, the life force, the essence of Obrimos. The people of that city stuck outside of time, forced to live inside the Grey, which both Vasas have been to. They set up some sort of civilization. In that civilization is the crystal. So you know exactly where it is. It's deep within the Grey. And if there's any way to find your way back to your time, it lies within that crystal. But that would require you to travel worlds once more, find your way deep within the gray, and then navigate lost and broken timelines until you're able to shift and find your way to a lost city that has no name and convince the people to share their knowledge with you. Well, that'd be easy. Vasa would just see Vasa and be like, hey, you know. Um, but yeah, and but you also remember, this is something that you know better than any of the other world walkers, including Brummelstone, who you know that Brummelstone considers himself uh, kind of maybe probably like the time travel expert, or at least well-versed in the ways of time travel. If anything, I, Vasa thinks he's the time travel expert. Well, Vasa, you know that you are. You I know am? that you are, the, I mean, you know more than... Like, Brummelstone understands the idea of, like, collapsed timelines and stuff, but you have actually lived for years and years and years, at least the other Vasa has, and been the keeper of that crystal, right? Mm -hmm. You know it does not take much to change time irrevocably. The city 
you know, Vasa enters a destroyed metropolis and through her actions leaves behind the greatest kingdom Abrimos has ever seen, one that is filled with those crystals. Like, she didn't... She took a crystal and she ran and all of time changed. You actually changed the timelines of all of your friends, too. You know that, which means the other Vasa knows that. So it won't be so simple as to go... You're going to have to convince that Vasa that it's okay to fuck with time. And she's in the middle of learning that you don't fuck with time. This is a series of conundrums. It's a series of paradoxes that you're about to embark on. And any sort of mingling or messing with time could have unforeseeable and grave consequences across the timelines. And Vasa, in her experience, would know that while Obrimos is well-versed in time travel and, and almost almost seemingly built for time travel, the other worlds, they are not used to the strain of time travel, as far as you know. You have no idea what the effects of time travel would be on a world like Hawk. And so this mission is going to require... Like, if you're going to really do this, you're going to have to make a series of very tough decisions that require caution and elegance because you have no idea what you're going to do if you change time. Heavy stuff. Um, once, once Vasa realizes, like, you know... Gosh, it must be late in the night at this point. Like, yeah, she's just been kind of awake all night, kind of thinking about this stuff. And then when she opens her eyes, sort of almost coming out of a, a long book, she kind of realizes there is a path ahead of them now. And for a moment, she allows herself to feel a little bit of hope. But then she, it just as quickly pulls back, being like, do I even want to bring this path to the group? This is a path even that should even be discussed. And Vasa is very uncharacteristically uh, unsure of herself. She doesn't know how to listen to her gut. And she doesn't know what to do with this sort of information that she just uncovered. And then at some point, she kind of goes like, I'm going to I'm gonna have to defer to... to, to, to. And then she suddenly goes, she kind of goes, wait, guardian, guardian. And then you hear... Mm. Oh. Yeah. And then and Vasa would, li- would would essentially sort of share the epiphany that she had. She like very briefly summarizes the fact that like, you know, she has experienced time travel. She has experienced the the, the impact it can have. And that she she th- she thinks that if things have occurred as she expects from when she met Jan Tompkins to Tompkins' age now, that she knows there might be a path that can actually open the way for them as their group to get back. But because of how fragile time is, she cannot even begin to to understand, to extrapolate from their minor actions here what could happen to the world a thousand years in the future. And she says, she's like, is this... Is that even worth it at all? It's, how can how can we ask? We've already asked so many lives to end for our mission. Can we ask potentially worlds to change and end as they know it, just so we 
can move forward. If we stay here, Tompkins will just find another group. They will carry on. Things will stay as they are. How can, how can we ask this much? How can I put it on the team to decide to ask that much? Well, I think the first thing to consider would be, is there a path forward that leaves as little to chance and as little to change as possible? Because if there is, if you can see a path forward where you don't risk so much, like the time, taking the time to put together the most careful plan might provide a different answer than what the question you're posing now. Like, is there a way for your group to move forward? Is there a way for all of you to walk between the worlds and accomplish your goals? without leaving turmoil in your wake. If not, I'll be the first to tell you I, I don't know. I I know you're from another world, but a lot of the way that we approach things here in Rolanus is based on the story. and It's hard for you to know if your story's over. Maybe it is. Maybe you accomplished as much as you could and that chapter of your story is over and before you lays a new chapter, a new challenge a series of challenges, maybe you all find new lives at this point I I don't really know but I think you know, the way I would approach it is I would try to figure out if there is a way to put together a plan that doesn't leave destruction in its wake the thing you're going to have to consider is the fact that after your friend shared your story Tompkins seems to believe that his wife dies for all this to happen or that what? this kind of snaps off it's like what? they told him that? yes he is after that, he he and Eleanor uh, took their leave, and I think the wheels are already in motion. What? If you're going to be Jesus. a part of this next story, you might want to get involved soon. For the soon. love of... I spent like <laughs> eight hours gone, and they do... They, they t- what is even... I can't... Vasek like pushes herself up, she like beats some like thistle and leaves off her brush. Like, for the tis love of... God I can't have one moment to myself and she just like starts like storming off towards the like fireplace <laughs> she's just, like just like shedding shedding bushes and like thorns and everything and she's just like she's like fuming at at that just here she is thinking about how every single hair off of a fly's ass could like irre- irrevocably break timelines and then she finds out like oh yeah hey while you were like trying to preserve everything her friends are like hey did you know that when you join us for your mission your vice is gonna die and that, that the guy is considering not doing it and she's just like for the love of G- for the love of <laughs> dwarf beards come on um so she's like just storming back down doing her little storm
Thanks for listening to Season 3, Episode 35, Back in Time. If you love what you heard and want to listen to the next episode sooner, you want access to the homebrew rules that we use, or you just want to show some support to the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash worldwalkers. Or, if you'd like to show some love another way, leave us a review on iTunes or spread the love on Twitter or Facebook. Anything you can do to help us get the word out about the show is much appreciated and helps us out an incredible amount. I want to thank Kevin McLeod, whose website, Incompetech.com, is where a lot of the music comes from in this episode. Special thanks to Raphael Crux as well for his music. You can find his work at FreePD.com. And I also want to thank Sirenscape for providing sound effects. You can find them at Sirenscape.com. We went to go, we had our mail forwarded, so we had to go there and pick it up. And I met our neighbor, and our neighbor said that, uh, he said, we were wondering who was going to buy the house. Yes. And he was like, just like nice, really old guy who like offered to mow the lawn for me. And he said, um, yeah, that Colleen was a very nice lady. She lived there for many years until she died. I said, oh no, I didn't know that. He said, yeah, she had cancer. And I said, oh, well I have cancer too. So don't get attached, I guess. And he just went. He <laughs> just stared at me and I was cracking up. I thought it was funny, but he was like, oh, well, okay. I was like, eh. really funny. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny, but it didn't play to the audience I had. Can't talk about that shit, Pedro. Magnurious. I don't know. You better get used to it. I said, I'm a stay home dad. I'm just like. Megan, cover your ears. What? Cover your ears, Megan. Ah! Uh, <laughs> Infinity War much better. Uh, I War when I saw it, and I was like, I. I he doesn't feel well, and he's sorry. He doesn't want I, to go. I know, right? Like I saw that scene, I was like, Oh, well, it's too late now. I already wrote it. Oh, we, we can't have. There's no time travel duplicate. Same thing with the. I wrote the gauntlet when I was like. 20 or something like that and so this movie comes out and I'm like well luckily nobody will hear it when the movie's out so they won't be like oh gauntlet infinity stones gauntlet 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 okay, okay, like, oh, okay. we love Megan again